Uh, were any of you uh, aware of a nationwide protest called the One Million March for Children? It, it, it took place here in our Fort McMurray downtown and in cities all across the country. The focus of the protest was against how gender education happens in our schools and how parents should be more involved in uh, gender issues and how they're worked with in our schools or what is called SOGI, uh, Education on Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity. Fort McMurray today reported that the protest involved hundreds of people and was larger than any of the protests during COVID. It noted that there was a counter-protest, a, a pro-SOGI group, and there was lots of yelling and chanting, but no violence or significant disruption. There's a church that Jane and I uh, occasionally attend in Muskoka called Harvest Muskoka. It's much more of a conservative church than Fort City is and a little more black and white on a number of issues, but every now and then the pastor of that church, uh, Kai Ballantyne, surprises me. And that happened this week as he went to the One Million March for Children in Huntsville not to protest, but to go and to talk to people in the protest as well as in the counter-protest. He talked about a friend who drove through the protest to get to a meeting with, with Kai that day and told Kai that on either side of the uh, main street of the city was yelling and cursing. This friend of Kai's couldn't help but weep at the brokenness and division and anger. And Kai himself earlier that day uh, wandered through the protest uh, crowd talking with those he knew protesting as well as some who were in the counter-protest. And as he did, he felt his heart grow heavy. So he posted this graphic on his social media feed that reads, your relationship with others must be as strong as your words. The balance cannot tip here. Having strong words and a weak relationship with your neighbor is violent. It captures the violent carelessness of our social media infused age. This is not how neighbors talk with each other. That is not how image bearers of the same God relate to one another. Radically ordinary hospitality values the time it takes to invest in relationships, to build bridges, to repent of sins of the past, to reconcile. I don't know much about Rosaria Butterfield, but those are powerfully biblically infused words. And Kai then concluded, maybe the greater way to transform culture um, with the good news of Jesus is through real relationships that maybe that's the way uh, to help people encounter the power of the gospel that changes their lives now and forever. Friends, as we continue today in the book of Daniel in a series we're calling Thriving in Babylon, when you read uh, the Old Testament book of Daniel from cover to cover, you discover that Daniel had healthy relationships with people who lived and believed so much differently than he did. And this was the key to how God used him so powerfully. The question we are wrestling with is this. What does faithfulness to God look like in our secular world controlled by secular powers at war with the Christian gospel? What does faithfulness look like when you live in Babylon, when you live in an empire that does not align with your beliefs and values? To find that out, you have to read the whole book of Daniel and not just a story here or a verse there. So that means you're going to have to come back every week of this series or catch the Sundays you miss online. Um, and there is one thing that you're going to see throughout the book of Daniel. And that is that God is in control of who is in control even when the wicked gain the upper hand. 
the way I would describe the message of the book of Daniel to us today is, chill out. God is in control. And just let your light shine brightly in a dark world. And Daniel would add, don't use your light as a weapon. Use it to help others find their way in the darkness. And build strong relationships as your key tool for shining that light and leading other people out of darkness. Friends, this is something we can all do. As the world gets messier and darker, we can build good relationships with people caught up in darkness and gently and lovingly shine light into their lives. That's the book of Daniel in a nutshell. Chill out. God is in control. The book of Daniel is all about trusting God when when, when circumstances turn against us. It's about living a God-honoring life that respects people and even builds strong relationships with people who believe and behave differently than us. And that as we trust God in the middle of the wildest of circumstances, in the most unfair of circumstances, God can use us to change history or at least change a few lives who live with us in our Babylon called Fort McMurray. Now this week, we're going to go back to the first chapter of Daniel and see something important to see as we seek to make a difference in this city and world. Building good relationships with people who live far from God does not mean that there are not lines that need to be drawn to live faithfully for Jesus, because there are. Sometimes we need to be dissidents in Babylon. Sometimes we need to push back against Babylon, but we do so graciously. There's a term that I like to use to describe Fort City people, gracious barbarians. We're bold. We know we're in a fight, but we don't fight our battle the way the rest of the world does. We fight our battle as loving agents of Jesus Christ. We're gracious barbarians who serve our God as gracious difference makers in this world. Now, When you read the whole book of Daniel, you will see that Daniel and his friends carefully pick which lines to draw and which lines to let go of. They are very careful about how and when they will push against the power of Babylon. The one thing you will see is that they don't impose their values on others. They simply draw a line when the world is asking them to compromise what they believe. You'll see this more later in Daniel, but the way Daniel and his friends influence the people around them for good is they just choose to live differently. And as they do, they they invite others to consider living as they do, as loving, passionate followers of the living God. They invite, but they do not impose. And they are gracious as they invite. So how would Daniel approach Soji in our schools? Well, maybe by the end of this series, we'll have a better idea what Daniel might do with Soji and many other issues that push against biblical uh, values. And and friends, Soji is complicated. It it involves our kids. A simple answer won't work. I I, I mean, uh, you'll you'll need all of Daniel to to help you work on this. But what we're going to see today is that right off, you know, just right from the beginning, right off the bats, soon after Daniel and his friends are, are literally kidnapped and brought into Babylon, that a line gets drawn. Follow along as I read in Daniel chapter 1 uh, at verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. But you see, the royal food and wine would have included a lot of things uh, forbidden by Old Testament law back then. This was a a line that was important to Daniel. He he believed that this was something that God was calling him to do. 
This is where he and his friends chose to separate themselves rather than cave to the culture of Babylon. So Daniel asks that he and his friends be able to eat from a different menu. Now, this is a pretty annoying request from a prisoner, right? Because nobody in charge of feeding a group likes it when different people demand different things. I mean, any moms or dads out there want to say amen, each of your kids wanting something different to eat? Yeah. Well, watch what happens. Now, God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Okay, side note here with an apologies to Rick Warren, who I do greatly respect. Most of you know that. Please, please don't be short-sighted and think that Daniel just gave you some secret, superior, Jesus-blessed keto diet, okay? Some of you are like, I knew it. Vegetables and water. And I bet that means only whole grains and non-GMO stuff. Friends, that's not the point. My guess is that these were the only things that they could eat um, and that these things that were being offered to them, that they were all ritually defiled. I mean, you're free to follow this Daniel diet if you want, but it's not the point of this chapter. We're going to see later in the book of Daniel that he is eating more than vegetables and water, but I'm guessing that the line here has to do with food that's been offered to idols and worship. So Daniel said, let us eat vegetables and water, and, and we see that God blessed them. And there's a, a principle being taught here. When you commit to doing things God's way, God often glorifies himself by honoring you. When you do things God's way, God blesses. You see that all through the Bible. But I have to say this, friends, it's not a magic formula. Sometimes, as we'll see in Daniel, you do the right thing and you suffer for it. But I'm telling you, a, a consistent biblical theme is that those who honor God, he honors and there's a, a second point here that I encourage you to embrace. You can't make a difference unless you're different. Now, one caveat on this. I'm not talking about being weird. There, there's no excuse for Christian weirdness. We, we, know, we all know Christians who are just strange. They're complete, you know, they'll, they'll tell complete strangers, like, I'm going to bathe you in prayer, and it just weirds them out, Right? Or, or, or they'll get real aggressive calling out other people's sin and it's all turn and burn and no mention of the love of Jesus. Yeah, we're, we're not talking that. Oh, and I should remind you that as Christians, we are not under the Old Testament law, so we have to look to the New Testament for, we need, for where we need to wisely take a stand in our lifestyle where we end up living differently than, you know, the world around us. And could I quickly suggest maybe three areas where Christians are different? One is in how we handle money. Our world teaches us just to acquire money, acquire all that you can so that you can truly enjoy life. For the Christian, money is a tool to bless, empower, and prosper the kingdom of God, to, to make a positive difference in this world. That at the same time, we get to enjoy a little bit of it. Our view of money is upside down to that of the world. 
Yes, we all live off of money, but we also recognize that money is, is something entrusted to us for the advancement of God's kingdom. So as God prospers us, we're not just thinking about how to advance our standard of living, we ask how we can advance our standard of giving. So what about your view of money? What is your view of money? Does it align with what the Bible teaches about money? Do you see money as a tool to bless and empower and, and just make a positive difference in our city and world? Then there's the issue of sex. Babylon approaches sex from the standpoint of it's all about me. And if it feels good, man, it can't be wrong. That whatever you feel about sex, unless, of course, it's abusive, it's good. It, if it feels good, just do it. I've got a quote from a Roman writer. I don't remember who it is. I think it might be Tacitus. But it's all about the upside-down views of Christians back then. The Roman writer says, Christians were promiscuous with their money and guarded with their beds, while Romans were guarded with their money and promiscuous with their beds. Christians throughout the ages have always seemed to be a little backwards when it comes to sex. That's because Christians see sex as a beautiful gift from God um, and that the power of sexual intimacy comes in a committed lifelong relationship of a man to a woman. It's a very straightforward view that limits eliminate so much pain and can bring such deep satisfaction and joy. But hey, you know, few in our culture accept that Christian view of sex. Many of you probably struggle with that view as well. A, a Christian view of sex is not meant to be limiting, but to set you free to truly enjoy life to the full. I, I mean, I know it sounds so strange to so many, um, but it's truth that sets you free. And for those of you who struggle with uh, that view, um, God lovingly extends you grace and just an, inv an invitation to follow him and just work it all out with him. And then there's power. Money, sex, power. For Babylon, the idea is whatever power you have, press it to your advantage. Leverage power for your gain. But the follower of Jesus asks, how can I use this position of power or privilege to lift up those around me? So, so often our values are just upside down to that of the worlds or that of Babylon. But as we hold to our values, we hold to them in ways that love others, not condemn. And the way we hold them has the potential to actually become inviting to some and not obnoxious. You see that in the story uh, that we're reading here in Daniel, that Daniel and his friends do develop good friendships with one, the, the Babylonian official who is supervising them with the, with the guard. We'll see later with, with kings and leaders. And, and uh, we see that this uh, particular supervisor, he's like really unsure about the request to eat vegetables and water only. And he doesn't want these four to look less strong than the others. Uh, I mean, defy the king and yeah, you can lose your head. So Daniel, in a, in a stroke of God-given genius or, or wisdom, says to the official, hey, just test us on us. Give us 10 days, just 10 days, and then compare us. Daniel brilliantly offers a compromise, believing that God will turn up. And his relationship with his Babylonian official is, is strong enough that this official is willing to take a risk. He's going to take a risk on Daniel. There's just some strong relational capital that's been built between the official and Daniel and his friends. So you have a good relationship with a government employee who doesn't share your values. You don't push too hard, but you're willing to compromise a bit and test God 
and God powerfully turns up and these guys end up stronger and healthier than the rest. And by the way, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's not the wiser. I mean, he knows nothing of this scheme. And friends, well, I've already said this, but once again, what we learn from Daniel as Christians, we don't impose our values on others. Rather, we invite others to see the life-giving power of our values. We live our values, but we don't impose our values on those who don't believe like we do. We invite them to see the power of our values. The Babylonian officials saw the power of their values. In fact, in this particular case, spectacular case, he saw it in 10 days. This is how Daniel operated. Yes, he drew a line, but he didn't impose that line on others who believed differently than himself. Daniel and his friends didn't even impose it on the other Hebrew young men they were in captivity with. Instead, as a group of four friends, they trusted that God would turn up as they drew the line. And God did just that as they chose to live in alignment with God. Friends, here's where the book of Daniel is going to take us. It's part of what's happening in this story, and it's this truth. You can't make a difference unless you're different. You aren't weird, but friends, you just can't blend in. You have to be living the values in a loving, winsome way. God honors that and uses that powerfully. Jesus called this difference being salt. He said to his followers, you are the salt of the earth. Salt, if you don't overdo it, adds flavor to the meal. It, it brings out the flavor of the meal or the vegetable that you're eating. Well, let's be honest. There are some Christians you, who just throw too much salt around. You know what I mean? You got to be careful with salt. Uh, another way of saying it is that these Christians are oversaved. They speak weirdly. They just say, they just, there's just way too much salt there, and instead of enhancing the flavor of the environment, they destroy it. Have you ever had someone, and they, they, they talk about God, and their voice changes, and it goes real deep? Hey, man, how are you doing? Uh -uh, I'm good. Can I tell you about the Lord? What, what, what's wrong with your voice? You're sounding a little weird. Or, or, or ever uh, some Christian, have some Christians start praying in the middle of your conversation. Do you see the game? It was so awesome. Yeah, the game was so good, w wasn't it? Yeah, it was a great game. God, thank you for being so good, so holy, and you made that game so good. What, 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 are you just praying now? That's a little creepy. Now, I don't do this as well as Christian comedian Michael Jr., but you get the idea. Too much salt, oversaved, you know what I mean. A little salt goes a long way and makes a huge difference. Too much, and you've ruined it. Now, in the days of Jesus, salt also acted as a preservative. It didn't just enhance flavor, it helped to preserve food longer. Yeah, in days without refrigeration, salt kept food safety for much longer. Christians act as a moral preservative in our world. I mean, how awesome is that? But notice also what Jesus said. You were the salt of the earth, but... But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You don't overdo salt. You use it carefully as a preservative. But hey, if that salt loses its saltiness, if, if you're not different from the world in a way that is positive, wisdom, flavor-adding, and life-preserving, if you're not beautifying the flavor of this world, then your salt is worthless. It's to be thrown out. It's just some useless white powder. So a key point to hang on to from the book of Daniel today is 
you won't be different. I mean, you won't make a difference unless you're different, unless you have a little bit of salt. If you are different in a quiet, winsome, loving way where, like salt, you bring out the good flavor in this world we live in, the good flavor of the family you live in, then you will serve this world as a preservative, slowing the decay of this world until Jesus returns. Hey, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, as young men, maybe just 16 years of age, they didn't compromise their convictions even when the to, to do so threatened to cost them greatly. But then they weren't hot-headed about it. They built a strong relational bond of trust with their Babylonian overseers and used tact and wisdom in the process. There's a story told about, a 1924, about the 1924 Olympics in Paris, France, about Eric Liddell, a committed Christian and an incredible runner for the British Olympic team. <clears throat> he held a conviction that we don't today hold quite so strongly, but maybe we should, that Sunday is the Lord's Day for rest and worship. When he got to Paris that year, he was told that the 100-meter qualifying heat was to be held on a Sunday, but he would not run on a Sunday. The British team appealed to the Olympic Committee to change the date of the heat, but the Olympic Committee wouldn't budge. It, it became a scandal, and the British papers just skewered him. He became a worldwide laughingstock. His team then switched him to the 400-meter race. But yeah, that's a totally different race that you train for in totally different ways. And against all odds, he won. After he won, he said, those who honor God, he will honor. Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, said, the courage of the soldier is tested in how well he stands where the battle is the hottest, not in how brave he postured himself when the battle has passed. We're, we're talking gracious barbarians, full of the Holy Spirit, full of God's love. We, we draw clear lines in our lives and seek to live out our lives in ways that demonstrate the love and power of God, in ways that build strong, deep relationships with people whose values we might not align with. And that's part of what it means to follow Jesus and to be on mission with him. So are you ready to team up with Jesus and the power of his spirit and, and like Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, be used of God to make a difference in this city and to see lives change now and for eternity? Will you team up with Jesus? When I was a kid at summer camp, we used to sing a song called Dare to Be a Daniel. So yeah, dare to be a Daniel. Dare to be a gracious barbarian. Dare to be a little salt as you add flavor to this world and play a role in the preservation of this world. So with all of this, can I ask, what is God speaking to you through this message? What is he saying to you as you've listened to this part of Daniel? Will you do what God is asking you to do? Let's just take this all to God in prayer and I invite you to take the prayer that I pray and to pray that with me that uh, we will be people who serve in Babylon today as Daniel did in his day. Let's pray and join me in prayer. Father God, would you speak to my heart about where and how you would have me be a Daniel? What it means for me to be a gracious barbarian, a gracious a difference maker. Today I ask you to fill me with your spirit so that I can stand for you in a way that is loving, winsome, 
and for some who don't know you yet, even attractive. I will dare to be a Daniel. I make this commitment in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.